Hello, it's Charlotte's sister, C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and GNF Financial Group. Good afternoon and welcome to Powered by Age, Canada's longest running senior-led podcast. Today is Asian, well, the whole month of May is Asian Heritage Month, and we're going to be having some essays, thoughts, poetry, and maybe even some music. Uh, I'm Charlotte Farrell, host of Powered by Age, and I'll just tell you a little thing about Asian Heritage Month. In Canada, it's a time to reflect on and recognize the many contributions that Canadians of Asian heritage have made and continue to make in Canada. Asian Heritage Month has been celebrated since the 1990s. In December of 2001, the Senate of Canada adopted a motion proposed by Senator Vavine Poi to officially designate May as Asian Heritage Month in Canada. In May 2002, the Government of Canada signed an official declaration to declare May as Asian Heritage Month. And over the last two centuries, we're acknowledging that immigrants have journeyed to Canada from East Asia, Southeast, Southern Asia, Western, Central, and Southeast Asia, bringing our society a rich cultural heritage, representing many languages, ethnicities, and religious traditions. So it's a huge <laughs> land area and many, many cultures. So uh, today, Yoshimi's going to have something special uh, Fafula is going to share something special. Neil may have a poem. I may have a song. So we're just going to start with having the people that are on first uh, introduce themselves. So we'll start with Yoshimi. Oh, dear. I hadn't really prepared. So if, it, if everybody <laughs> can just bear with me while I kind of wing it, is that okay? Yes, that's okay. <laughs> well, right now we're just introducing ourselves, so it'll give you a oh. few more minutes for your wings to unfold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, unruffle them. Okay, my name is my name is Yoshimi Nakano. I'm 77. I'm retired, and I'm um, a wannabe writer and poet, storyteller, and. Um, I'm third generation Japanese Canadian, and my grandparents from both sides, my mother's and my father's parents came from Japan. They all arrived about in the early 1900s. And my father's parents were born in Steveston, and my mother's parents they made their way by train, my father, to Kelowna. So they all came, met in Kelowna. My 
father and my mother. My father was born in 1915, my mother in 1924. They met by arranged marriage and they were married in um, 1942. I was born in 1944 and we were very poor farmers. We and we uh, worked in the orchards, my parents did. And um, it was a very, very tough time to be born and working in the Okanagan. We were, there was a very small community of farmers who were Japanese, hardworking, very compliant kind of people. Um, my parents weren't sent to the internment camps because they were already in the Okanagan and we were restricted um, with curfews and we weren't allowed to, to, to leave the, the town. But I had parents, my, um, my mother had, had parents, relatives that were in, um, interned in, uh, in the Kootenays. So it was a very, very challenging time for it, for all of us. And um, we were, my father would always bitterly say, we're just nothing but duty Japs. We don't matter. We just are there to provide for the landowners, our labor. And um, so I was born in 1944. And um, I went to school in South Kelowna, which is um, a bit more into the hilly area, the rural area. And we, um, I, my brother and I went, started school a little bit later. Um, I was seven when I went to school. And my teacher, we were the only um, ethnic noticeably ethnic people and we were the only students um, who were who were Japanese or or any any other nationality other than whites. Uh, my first teacher in grade one was Mrs. Foster. She was big and buxom and quite jolly but she she didn't know quite what to do with my brother and I. She said that I was born Yoshimi, but she said nobody would be able to spell my name or to remember my name. So she said, we'll give you an English one. And they called me Mary. And from then on, I was called Mary. And, um, but, School was wonderful, and I had we had lots of friends, and it was it was a very wonderful time for as children to grow up because we were just um, ran wild in the woods and apple orchards, and we had such a wonderful uh, natural upbringing um, in in that way. It was a difficult family life, but. But my parents had problems on 
lots of different levels, just trying to put food on the table for us. And they worked really, really hard. But I, my father had a 1949 Chevy pickup truck. And, mm. and I, it was, you know, a working man's truck, but he was so proud of it. And we would go up and down the hills to all of the different areas and, um, and go into town every once in a while. Um, I was embarrassed about being Japanese. I hated it. I felt very out of step a lot of the time, but, and I hated to see my, my parents drive up to the school for PTA meetings and things because their pickup truck was very <laughs> primitive looking and I hated to stand out in the crowd. <laughs> so a lot of my time I spent being feeling like I didn't measure up. But anyway, when I was 12, we moved from Kelowna. My father began his fishing uh, career. And so we moved to Steveston. And for the first time I went to high school, junior high, and there was, um, there was a huge Japanese uh, community in Steveston. It was a, a really seedy little rundown place where they had um, uh, Japanese houses, very primitive houses and huts and uh, around where people lived. And then lots and lots of fishing boats. But going to school on grade seven, it was wonderful to see all these black headed students. I felt I had, there was, it was such a joy to see um, faces that looked like mine. And uh, so there was lots of getting to know the Japanese community. And so I, I started to embrace my Japanese-ness. And then I was lucky enough to meet um, a, a lot of friends who became my friends who were white. And my favorite best friend was Jewish. And she said, what's your, what's your real name? And so I said, Yoshimi. And she said, why don't you use that? use your real name that's who you really are and she said it's so much prettier than Mary you don't look like a Mary and I never felt like a Mary I don't know what that's supposed to be like but um and then I as I grew older in my 20s I was longing to to be able to speak Japanese and so I took uh, some tutoring and some lessons and I became much more interested in the culture and everything and um, so I've totally embraced my Japanese-ness and, uh, and um, so that's my story. That's your story and you're sticking to it. <laughs> yes. Thank oh, you for uh, listening. Embracing. How, uh, when your friend told you to use your name and you started to use it, how did that change your outlook on Canada, I'm living in Canada. Or did it change? Well, uh, yes. I mean, when I was a child, I didn't. I noticed that that there was 
there were people, you know, the white culture always wanted blonde hair and blue eyes, and I wanted freckles across my nose. <laughs> and, uh, um, but I didn't, I, I guess I took on the cultural kind of um, the, the, the wartime things from the adults and the older people and from my, from my parents who had a very difficult time. And, um, but I didn't, I've always felt Canadian. I didn't really know, I didn't really dwell so much on that, but with the bitterness part, but um, yeah. Um, but when I changed, when I went back to my real name, so much just I started to to be interested and I joined the JCCA, the Japanese Canadian Association. I became a, a board member. There was a big reunion of the redress, the Japanese Canadian redress. I can't remember it was the 50th year or something. And I wanted to become part of it. So I went, I was asked to write my observation in an article for Japanese American um, newspaper. It was a small newspaper. And so then I decided I had never done anything like that, but I did go to the, to the redress uh, big assembly at the Hotel Vancouver and I rented filming mm -hmm. equipment and sound system that I kind of juggled around and I, I, I got a lot of pictures and I did a lot of interviews and then I wrote an art, uh, this article and I, I took the Greyhound bus to, um, I can't, I think it was it, somewhere, it wasn't Bellingham or, but I can't remember exactly now, but then it was published with all my pictures, it was quite, quite wonderful and to hear all of the different people who had suffered during the the war the depression and everything and how i learned all their stories of how their properties their everything was taken from them and they were shuttled off by train to the internment camps all over the province and to alberta and um so anyway I think when I started changing my name and I, when I had, was at, um, I was self-employed and I was doing my Japanese massage, shiatsu, and then I opened my own center and named it um, uh, Trank, um, Shinsen Center. It was translated as Tranquil Forest. And um, I really embraced my Japanese-ness and I don't know, everything really changed. Like my whole interior felt at home and grounded. And yeah, that's how I feel right now. At home and grounded. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, thank you for sharing that. Rafula, I think you signed on next. <laughs> oh, okay. Hi, uh, my name is Rafula Piazen and I'm a retired special education teacher. And presently, I live in Melton, Ontario. So it's getting to be evening time here, but it's a good time to join this group. Mm -hmm. So I am also like a wannabe writer. 
uh, like Yoshimi, and I have been dabbling in short stories that I have published in different places, maybe a poem here and there. And then I do have a novel that I finished, and I'm actually working on another one. And it's all about India because I feel very connected to India because that's where I'm originally from. So, so I work on the second one. So it's kind of a tough journey, and it's not easy trying to get a manuscript and then get it all you know, edited and then copy edited and then cover and then finally get to, so I have to get to the stage when I get and put itself published on Amazon. And so I'm learning, but I guess first time is the toughest time to, to learn and get to, but I'm, I think the second one, then when I started, I was able to finish it less than six months and I managed to write 30,000 words. So Oh, you wow. learn a lot, yeah, and now I'm finding that, what, thank you, you learn, and I did, mm. in six months, I did 30,000, which is nice, so I, that first one took me two years, <laughs> now this, uh, so the second one took six months, and now I'm learning how to work at it, have the ideas, do the plot, think of characters, and all that, so it gets easier and easier if anybody's interested in doing any of that stuff. So I come What is your novel about? Uh, the first one is about a cozy murder mystery, which is, I'm working on it, an editor and a cover page. So I'm hoping to publish it in July. Cross my fingers, I'm not sure, but yeah. I'm hoping, but I'll let you know when it is. And the second one is like 30,000 pages, all about India. And I'm trying to create a really nice, uh, you know, a picture of India, but a real problems. And I like to uh, look at issues that people are facing instead of just doing something luxurious and lifestyle and all, because there's all kinds of people that live there, right? So, and little fun and just enjoy my characters and all that, you know, that's, that's why I enjoy doing it. So now I come from a family of uh, uh, migrants because my father left India in 19... Uh, 50 or something. I was born in 1948. And he said I was his lucky child because he got, uh, he was a teacher then and he got an offer in Africa in 1948 when I was born. So he considered me his lucky child. And uh, we, I remember going by ship, but one of those ships, it took six months to go to Africa. And we actually, I was actually raised in East Africa in a, in a very small country called Malawi. And then, but I was raised in the British system and um, learned all the British uh, history. And we never learned anything about the country that we were actually living in. Like, uh, I had no idea. Like, you know, it was a British colony. That's all I knew. It was a British colony. And then it got its independence. In 1960s, it got its independence. But we didn't know anything about the country that we were living in which was rather unfortunate. But anyway, with the sound education, and, and then my dad started sending us all out of his home and early age, he just, no, you guys need to go for further education and all that. So I went to India, studied, you know, felt at home there, and then came and finally came to Canada. And I, when I first came to Canada, I was wearing a sari, you know, so when <laughs> I got to the airport, I had my sari on, and little red dot, and I had my hair tied up, and like very, very typical. So I stayed like that for a while, and then slowly I changed because I realized 
I can't wear a sari in the snow, right? And walk around. <laughs> Slowly, my yeah, my whole thing changed. No sari anymore. And then I started wearing jeans and T-shirt and a sweater and things like that. But uh, like Yoshimi, uh, my name is Prafula. And a lot of people are saying, what? I don't understand. How do you pronounce it? How do you spell it? And I said, it's Prafula and it's going to stay at that. No, I'm not changing my name. <laughs> because I didn't see the point of changing my name. I said, what name can I have? Like, I can't imagine replacing my name with some other name, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, that's it. That's all it is. You know, I can't do anything about that. So, so gradually I learned and then, and I always stuck to my values and my parents' values because we have we typical Indian brought up in a very sheltered Indian way of life and girls should do this and girls should do that and that kind of upbringing, you know, and all that. And so I would remain a strict vegetarian because in my family, we didn't eat meat. My father, mother, we know we were vegetarian. So I'm the only one from my family members that is still vegetarian, you know. And, um, oh, thank you. <laughs> and, and yeah, and so slowly, but I meet you, I feel I've been in this country for 45 years or so, and it has changed me. It has really, really changed me a lot, you know. So I am thinking that what I was when I first came in the country with a sari and the slippers, I didn't even wear boots or shoes. I had those slippers, jumpers that you wear in India, you know. Right. <laughs> and a little handbag and all that. So it's funny when you think about it. And my hair was a little longer, like tied up. And, you know, and that's how I was. And my husband said, you got to change. You can't stay like this. <laughs> and you're going to be modern and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. So, but slowly the culture did change. And, you know, I changed. So there's good and bad about the culture. But mostly good and thank god like in the 70s when i came and i was looking for an indian grocery store there was only one indian grocery store in toronto on danda street and we would drive all the way we lived in we used to live in toronto so we'd drive to that the grocery store on danda street to buy all the spices and everything right because i couldn't cook without the indian spices so i needed to have all that and now and that I remember. But look at now. Look, look at now. Mm. The grocery store around the corner, everywhere, right? And there used to be one or two Indian restaurants in the 1970s. But now look at look at all the Indian restaurants. Japanese, Indian, Chinese, Mexican. Yes. So I think yes. I'm very fortunate to be living in Canada. Did you find when you were teaching that the children were interested in knowing more about Indian culture or your his, your heritage? Well, you know, when I was, by the time I got into teaching, my the classroom was full of Indian kids. It was like, a, by the time I got into it, because I got into teaching a little later, because I, I had to raise my daughter. And so I went, made sure she went to university. And then, then I started teaching. So by that time, the kids were all mixed up, like, you know, and they, they learned the you know heritage from each other because they go to cafeteria and there will be Mexican and there will be Chinese and there will be Indian and there will be you know English food and and so forth. So the kids knew all about it you know by that time. So I didn't have a, didn't have to worry. When I started working, my first job was with the Bank of Montreal, and I started working as a telex operator. So 
<laughs> I don't know if you anybody remembers. <laughs> you know, you those are people that connected the calls. Was telex when they <laughs> stuck in the cords to connect the calls? Yeah, it was. I, I was scared. I said, "What is that? You're going to be connecting to someone far away in China?" And I said, "How do I do that? Like it scares me." <laughs> It was it was connected. It was like a typewriter, and you. I was. I got the type uh, messages from upstairs, and they say you have to type this message, and then press this button and press that, and then the tape would go through it. I don't know what it was, but it was a computer. I I, should, I guess it was a computer because uh, that was my first job as a telex operator. You know, I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. We'll be looking forward to hearing a reading from your book. All of the authors have been sharing some of their readings, so we'll schedule a time for you to do a reading. Well, that, that'll be so nice. And it, it doesn't feel real at all to me right now. It's like, I don't know if Neil feels the same way, but when you have your own words written, you feel they don't seem to have any weight or worth, right? So it's only when someone tells you, gives you feedback, then you think, oh, that's pretty good, you know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Uh, Leslie? Yeah, so congratulations, Profula, on finishing your novel. That's quite an accomplishment, actually. Yeah. 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 Yes, very much. Thank you. And I must say, the first time when we first got a phone when I was a child and I had to use the phone, I was scared to answer it. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, my background isn't nearly as interesting as Yoshimisa Profula's. I am also an immigrant. I'm from the United Kingdom. I was born in London in 1948, which was right after World War II, and um, grew up with uh, houses around me that were still damaged from the Blitz. Mm -hmm. um, we moved from there, we moved to a new town, which the government was building to rehouse all the people that were left homeless by the war, uh, moved to a new town north of London, I stayed there until I left high school, then went back into London to work, and from there, I came to Canada, um, just uh, looking for new opportunities, new horizons, and settled on Vancouver because the climate was very similar to the rainy weather in London. So didn't want to face those cold Eastern Canadian winters. So, yeah, so that's my story. <laughs> well, so Another story that she's sticking to. <laughs> Leslie, mm -hmm. you were born in 1948? Yes. Oh, it's the same age then. Yeah. <laughs> what month were you born in? In June. How about you? Uh, guess what? December 24th. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the birthday baby. I mean, no Christmas baby. <laughs> gift, gift, gift to the mother at Christmas time. Yes. <laughs> so, Neil, what about you? Well, I have I have some interesting experiences uh, that makes me uh, multicultural. Mm -hmm. uh, I speak I speak a little bit of Japanese. You show me, you show me, Nihonjin desu ka? Hi, Nihonjin desu. I saw this 
I also speak uh, Japanese, a few words, Korean, a few words, Tagalog, a few words, uh, and uh, uh, my favorite, favorite poem of all in the world is from the Mahabharata, the Indian mm -hmm. Bible, the, mm -hmm. the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. I am the ritual and the worship, the medicine and the mantra, the butter burned in the fire. That's the most perfect description of God that I have ever read anywhere, and I've read lots. Uh, I speak Ukrainian. In fact, I don't know if you can see, but I'm wearing the Ukrainian flag today. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not Ukrainian. I just fell in love with a Ukrainian girl in high school, and I thought I could get accepted if I learned Ukrainian. So I went to the local church and said, teach me. So at one point in time, I could read and write because it's a Cyrillic alphabet, but uh, uh, that's pretty much gone now. And uh, I, I want to tell you a short, 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 short story that epitomizes the way I see the world. Uh, I was at somebody's birthday party downtown in right downtown Vancouver yesterday. I live in Burnaby. And on the way back, I came down the steps at the, at, to catch the train home. And there's a young woman there sweeping up. And I said, excuse me. I know you don't have a very glamorous job, but I want to tell you thank you for making my world a clean place. I thought she was going to cry. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because I said to her, I really appreciate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I, as I, I just immediately turned and left because I don't want anything more from her than to say to her, thank you. Mm -hmm. And I, that's how I view the world. And if we all, as I say occasionally, uh, we all have the same blood in us from the same mother. Mm -hmm. So we are all sisters and brothers. And some sisters I want to be more intimate with than, <laughs> than others. But that's beside the point. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I try and deal with this world as I would have this world deal with me. <laughs> so the last part of my story today is that uh, I went to Nanaimo on Tuesday and bought a motorhome. Oh, very nice. I'm, I, nice. I, 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 I am so scared that I have gone to Nanaimo, up, 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 all the way up the Campbell River and bought a motorhome. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to go across BC and hopefully next summer across Canada and collect poems from seniors. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got I'm sure Charlotte will support me. Uh, I got Simon Fraser University supporting me. I think I have 411 supporting me, at least emotionally. And I'm now going to go get uh, 
Canada Council to see if they'll give me a grant. And and, because I want to put together a book called The Wisdom of Seniors (laughs) in Canada. (laughs) So you'll see in in the chat, I put my email address and said, send me your most favorite one. Just I only want one poem. But send me your most favorite poem and a short bio to ncr223 at gmail.com. Okay, we'll say that again more slowly for the people that just listen to our podcast, um, the email to send their poem and bio. Okay, I want a short bio and your one favorite poem to ncr223 at gmail.com. Neil C. Ryan, and there's my birthday, 223, February 23rd. So it's, I didn't, I felt I didn't need to put the 1940 that I was born. I I just needed to put the date so you could identify me. Is that uh, the person's favorite poem that they've written or favorite poem from anywhere? They like. Oh, that's a really good question. I not I I meant the the your favorite poem that you have written. Written, of course. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. I, I'm. I, thank yes. you, Charlotte. I don't want to get a poem from Robert Louis Stevenson. I want to get a poem from you, which mm. is why I want the bio with it, is so I can just put two three lines of a bio. That's that's all. That would be nice. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. We'll do we'll do that. So I have oh. three poems today. They're all very short. One of the things I didn't mention is that I speak Chinese quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm mildly fluent in Chinese. I can ca- carry on a s- short conversation. Uh, when I do business in China, I have a translator because uh, I don't trust myself and. Uh, I, I use my translator when I do business there, but but this is a poem. Meng Haoren was a poet in the 14th century, near the end of the Tang Dynasty, who was famous for writing poems of the natural world. And when I read this poem in, at a collection in Richmond two years ago now, all the people from China, and there were many, 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 many people in the audience that were from China, they knew this poem. So it's a very famous poem in Chinese. And it's called Spring Morning in Chinese. So I'm going to read that poem to you when, when it's time. And then I will read the translation, which is only four lines. And then I would like to read my poem called Easter Parade, which is my response to a poet from the 14th century. And I thought that would really be actually quite beautiful to be talking to a poet from 500 years ago, 600 years ago. Yes, we we can get in the time capsule. (laughs) And as we are are saying good morning again to the people listening on Suluau, speak up, listen up, act upon <laughs> what you've heard. Uh, we're celebrating Asian Heritage Month and through different ways, through 
poetry, through essays, through just our lives here, how in this country, the thing that Neil just mentioned, being able to just have a recognition that many people have contributed. There are people that helped build the railroads, people who helped build the buildings, people who've taught, people who've painted, and having a recognition of respect and just the willingness to say, I respect what you do. I thank you for, for what you're doing, whether it's building the SkyTrain or sweeping the steps that lead down into the SkyTrain, that that's one of the things that I think these heritage months help us to do so that we do get an appreciation of how all many hands have come together to build this country and are still reaching forward to make it greater and stronger where people don't feel discriminated against or ostracized because they show and demonstrate their culture. And some things are so excited that people of other cultures love to hear the poems that were written by others. People love to hear uh, things that are written by English poets, uh, dub poets, Hispanic poets, Asian poets. So I thank you. And we're going to hear some music. What we're going to do for a minute is Qigong. We talked about when we sit and do these long <laughs> sessions, our bodies get stiff. So thinking first of our hands, let's just hit the heels. When you, if you put your heels of your hands under your face, like you're embracing your face, but then take them away <laughs> and let's tap, 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 tap. And feel the energy going down into your shoulders. Ah, just tapping, releasing as your fingers are flying, all those things that are just worrisome. We're just stirring them up and sending them somewhere else. And now with your hands, because again, we're talking of unity, but a lot, the unity with our hands, just slip your fingers down to the end of each finger, and then let's touch them, then bring your hands forward. So each finger is touching another finger, and just gently tap, tap, ooh, got a chill down my spine. <laughs> tap the, the tips of your fingers. How does that make anybody feel when you're tapping the tips of your fingers? I feel it in my spine as well. Yes. Okay, now we're going to reach around because everybody needs a hug at some time. We're going to hug ourselves, bring your arms, your hands up on your shoulders and just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Bring it up closer to your neck and just rotate your fingers. Ah, such a loving. See, we can see ourselves. Those of you who are listening can't see yourselves, but we can see ourselves on the, <laughs> on the screen. And everybody's smiling, feeling this. Virtual hug, which we're sending to you, a virtual hug, as everybody embraces their heritage and the respect and love of heritage of people everywhere that's coming to Canada, and right at this time, the Asian heritage. So now Neil has a couple of poems that he's going to read. Yes, I do. This one in Chinese is called Chun Xiao. And that translates into a spring morning. Chun Mian Bu Chu Xiao. Chu Chu Wen Chi Niao. Yi Lai Pen Yu Xian. Kwa Lao Shi Dao Xiao. The translation. I awake from sleep this morning of spring. Everywhere around I hear the tweeting of birds. 
I remember the night brings the sound of wind and rain, and I wonder how many blossoms have fallen. Ming Hao Huen was a poet in the 14th century, just at the end of the Tang. Oh, say his name again. Meng Huan Hao Huan. Meng Hao Huan is uh, M E N G H A L hyphen R A M. R A N is in Neil. Chun Miao Bu Chu Xiao. Chu Chu Wen Ti Miao. Ye Li Feng Yi Yu Shan. I love language and I love the rhythm that he has in there. Uh, it, it's, it's, I think it was what attracted me to, uh, to read this poem at the, at the Chinese festival in Richmond at the library there. And, he, and my reply to him is called Easter Parade. I sit among four cherry blossom trees, intermittently releasing petals that fall like large snowflakes, covering the terrace in a pink-tinted blanket. In my hand, I hold the ubiquitous yellow dandelion, full and bright in the sunshine, its intensity begins to fade as I lay it among the spine of my open book. Somewhere behind me, a white-capped chickadee beeps out his value as he seeks a mate. The DNA imperative, meaning he know not else to do. Drops of rain interrupt my blissful Eden, causing me to seek shelter among the pine trees. And as the rain quickens, it briefly turns to hail with lightning and distant thunder joining the audacious clouds that interrupt my, the sun's task to renew and replenish. Thus Mother Earth announces her change of dress. This has been the Earth's ritual repeatedly for millenniums. This is Mother Earth at her repetition, repetiting perfection. Spring is here and life is renewed once more. It's beautiful. Yes, beautiful, Neil. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think it was phenomenal how something written 500 years ago inspired you to write something that was very contemporary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one of the other things when sometimes, you know, I've done poetry workshops, getting people to write poems and they said, but I can't rhyme. But, you know, poetry doesn't have to rhyme. Yours, <laughs> you can spend more time <laughs> wasting on trying to get the words rhyming than the meaning. So I think what you <laughs> yeah. demonstrate in yours is getting the meaning out, the feeling tone, I, getting I something. Focus, I focus on the emotion of the, the, of the experience, not on the uh, how can I make the words rhyme? So my brother, before he passed, he said, you don't write poetry, nothing rhymes. <laughs> oh, yes. 
I've had people tell me that. Well, I don't understand. You say you write poetry, but it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. But then in, in turning the key to unlock for people to write poems, people are always so delighted at what they write when you sit down and just say, let flow what's on your heart. Let your emotions flow. And then they say, I wrote a poem. So thank you, Neil, for writing yeah. such a moving poem. You see Someone me, else bring something? You... I, went, I went to public school with Baba Yushika. <sighs> oh, I that's had... my mother's name. And I and I never knew anything about the war and the, and all this stuff. But I was in, living in Toronto at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was just a shy young boy who was a good baseball player because he was my catcher. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, we're everywhere. <laughs> it's lovely. I'm wondering, does anyone else have to offer? Leslie, you're fluent in Japanese. Aren't well, you? not fluent, no. I'm actually illiterate also. That's a long story. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I actually did study Japanese for two years, never learned to read and write, and went to Japan for a month. Uh, I'm actually currently writing a memoir about that trip. Um, mm. I'm just wondering if I could read some haiku that I wrote. Mm -hmm. Yes. that I've put into my memoir. I'm just trying to find them. Um, we, uh, When we were there, we stayed with a friend that uh, she taught English in Japan. She was a Japanese lady. And we met her in Canada, and she invited us back to stay with her. And we stayed with her in a small town called Tatayama, which is uh, northeast of Tokyo. Um, and she introduced us to many facets of Japanese culture. And she took us to, um, it was sort of a, a nature reserve called, uh, was called Nambo Paradise. And um, it had uh, a butterfly garden, it had birds, it had a, a um, it had greenhouses with tropical plants in it. It was absolutely lovely. And I was sort of inspired to write some haikus when I came mm -hmm. out of there, based on things that I saw there. Clear loquat jelly, souvenir store sample, tastes like papaya. Mm -hmm. Baby marmosets, tiny hands and shining eyes, adorably cute. Searching for honey, Brilliant scarlet inko birds perch on my hands. I dream of nature, images swirling like wings, butterfly magic. Thank you. I love butterfly Thank magic. Thank you for taking us to that garden. <laughs> you know, we are really one world. I remember I speak a little bit of Polish and, and I was in an airport in China and a Polish guy and I found uh, using our broken English and broken Polish, we found where we needed to go to get to get find our exit. And so it, we are one world. We are one people. Yeah, I had an experience living with a family in Greece and the daughter uh, spoke English, but she worked during the day and I was there with the mother and she got a magazine. And from the magazine, 
saying things, we got common language. You know, she would tell me what the word was in Greek and I would tell her what it was in English. And by the end of the week, we really could have a conversation going just around pictures, you know. <laughs> so just that environment, as Leslie showed, the environment of wow. being in the garden, it just spun off so many beautiful little haikus. <laughs> Um, what, a what a beautiful idea! Mm -hmm. Yes. Would there be time to read one that one that I wrote about mothers? Yes. Go for okay. it. Okay. Okay. Um, it's called "Tell Your Mother." It's seven o'clock. The daylight is fading as I hurriedly walk with my cart towards the Canada Line station to Richmond. I'm running late. By now, mother will be fretting as usual with possible catastrophic reasons for my delay running through her head. I take a seat beside a woman at the front of the crowded train. As I quickly settle beside her, I notice that she's masked, has a ponytail, and is clutching two small bouquets of delicate flowers, purple freesias and blue hyacinths. I comment on their beauty and freshness. Her eyes smile. They're from Whole Foods, she says. We get off at the terminus station across the street from the Richmond Center Mall. Its entrance, which I usually pass through, has closed at eight o'clock. I'm a little disoriented in the darkness in deciding a route, a detour around the mall to my mom's place. My former seatmate notices and offers to show me the way en route to her own home a few blocks away from my destination. Where are you going, she asks. I'm going to stay overnight with my 97-year-old mother to keep her company. She lives alone in her two-bedroom condo over there, I point. Wow, she says. How is her health? Not so good right now. She had a bad accident two weeks ago. She walked four and a half blocks to City Hall. After paying her water bill, she tripped going down some steps when the casters on her walker locked. She landed face first on the cement. Oh. The impact was so strong, she had to pry her glasses from her face. The pain from the multiple bruises and bumps on her head and body, the sudden shock of it all dazed her. She was afraid she was a goner. No one was around, so she managed to pick herself up and walked all the way back home. She's always been a feisty woman. Oh, your poor mother. Her eyes show concern. I'm curious about your accent. Where are you from, I ask. I'm Japanese-Canadian, third generation. I'm from Russia, she says. Immediately, I wonder if my question may have been intrusive. I'd heard there are Russians who don't want to admit their ethnicity during these sensitive times. So I ask, do you have a mother? Yes, a wonderful mother in my country. I am so lucky. I have a wonderful husband too. He brings me flowers all the time. Are you a mother, I ask? Yes, my son is 10 years old. Isn't he lucky to have a mother like you? We're walking in the customer parking area of the mall where our paths will diverge. Standing under a bright lamp in an otherwise dimly lit area, I'm able to see her blue eyes and the crow's feet evident at the corners above the mask. Her shining gaze is so direct and loving. 
you have such beautiful eyes. I say, you tell your mother she did a good job with you. She's taken aback and gives me a warm hug. We are reluctant to say goodbye. I hope we meet again, she says. Then gently, I have a gift for your mother. I only needed one bunch, but I got two. I guess these were meant for her. Tell her to get better soon. It's my turn to feel surprised. We hug again as she hands me the purple freesias. You tell your mother she did a good job with you. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> Lovely, uh, yeah. It just demonstrates how stories give us a, such a feeling of culture and, and attitudes and also a, a opportunities to show acts of human kindness. Uh, at this time, people, mean speech has gotten such a place that there are companies now mm -hmm. using the hashtag human kindness. And so if you have a story, a poem or anything, and you share it and you put that hashtag, more people who are looking to um, hear and express themselves kindly. So your story, we are hashtagging <laughs> human <laughs> kindness. Uh, but thank you for sharing that. Thank you, each of you, for sharing. Um, and it's just a wonderful example of how looking at heritage doesn't make us apart. It gives us more ways to see how we're together and see other ways that we can just make ourselves feel good on an afternoon or a morning, learning about specific cultures, but also learning about how things written by somebody in one culture might have uh, influenced somebody else in another. And no, I'm not trying to talk. Can you tell our audience how to get on spin? I have four poems and two and at least two short stories on on, on uh, CFRO. Is that, no, no, <laughs> wrong station. Uh, CSFF, SF. What's Simon Fraser University? What's their radio station? Okay, it's CJSF. Yeah. That CA. DJ Simon Fraser. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. How do I get on spin? Oh, you just, uh, just like you go into the, the internet to type in something, you just, after the HTTP, you put cjsf.ca, and that takes you right to the website. Okay. And then on uh, my show, the 10 a.m. Salua show, um, you just click listen live. So you can start at any time. When you go to the station, there's a little place over to the right that says listen live. So you could join in a little before this program begins and you can continue on because after Salua is always democracy now that lets you know all over the world what issues there are that you can act upon. <laughs> but yes, just uh, uh, there's another way I'll put in the chat to listen to all of all of the different times that our show has been played into, our Powered by Age has been played, you just go to um, cjsf.ca backslash contents backslash S-I-S-T-A-C. And then there'll be a listing of all of the shows and the link where you can listen to all of the shows for the year. S-I-S-C-T. T A C like sister C, S I S T A C. Ah, uh, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Gee, I wouldn't know who the sister C is. 
Yes. <laughs> I'm Sister C. <laughs> okay, well, thank you again. Um, we will see you again next week at one o'clock. And next week we have a special guest. We have Greta, one of the curators for the Museum of Anthropology at UBC. There's a new exhibition from Mexico there. It is for people who want to see the way artists have um, made images ways that they have encouraged people to protest things. It's a beautiful exhibition opening tonight. And next week, we're going to have one of the curators is our special guest. So I will see you again. Thank you so much for joining Thank us you. today. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you Charlotte. Thank you.